The following message was recorded Sunday, January 28, 2024. Pastor Ritt continues his series in the book of Acts and covers chapter 9 verses 22 through 30. Immediately after Saul was converted and baptized, he preached that Jesus is the Christ in the synagogues and then the Jews plot to kill him. He then travels from Damascus, to Arabia, Jerusalem, and then Syria and Cilicia. And now, here's Pastor Ritt. Paul, as was declared to Ananias by Jesus, Paul, he said, is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name to Gentiles, to kings, and the children of Israel. For I must show him the many things he must suffer. That's verse 15. And then Ananias came into the house, and he said to him, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road. Now, how did Ananias know that the Lord Jesus appeared to him on the road? Because God told him. Jesus told him so. There are no less than three witnesses to the appearance of Jesus Christ to Paul on the road to Damascus. Who were those three witnesses that we know about? Ananias is one of them here. Who else? I'm sorry? Well, we don't know how many there were, but there were several men that were there that saw the light, heard the noise, didn't discern the voice and what he was saying, but knew something had transpired. But the other man, the other witness that Paul had seen the risen Lord was the son of encouragement. Who was that? Barnabas, Barnabas, and we'll read that a little later on. So there's no less than three witnesses, Paul himself, Ananias, and Barnabas, that declared this wasn't a vision, he wasn't having a hallucination, it wasn't a dream, but Jesus actually appeared before him. Wow, what an experience. And when that happened, right, he would be changed forever. He would make a complete 180. He had letters from the high priest to go and to kill Christians, and now he would be the one to be sought after and to be killed by the very people who commissioned him to go to Damascus with this authority. The people who loved him and were his friends are now his enemies, and they hate him. The people previously who were his enemies, whom he had such disdain for, now became his most precious and endearing friends. The church was such a treasure to him. I, I hope you realize what a treasure we are to each other. I am so thankful for you, my brothers and sisters. And I pray you're thankful for one another. Amen? And so Ananias did as he was commanded by the Lord. And he came into Saul, brother Saul. The Lord Jesus appeared to you on the road as you came. And he sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he received his sight at once. And he arose and he was baptized. So this conversion of Paul. We said that the Holy Spirit, looking at the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Paul, just as in our lives, he first of all comes alongside you, the parakaletos, para, called, kaletos, the comforter called alongside to open your eyes, your mind, your heart. No one would ever come to Jesus without Jesus giving them that gift of faith to believe and drawing them in. Is that not true? You remember your conversion. Were you seeking God or did God seek you? God sought after me, right? I remember one boy giving his testimony as he was being baptized, and he said, I did all the sinning and the running, and Jesus did all the chasing and the saving. <laughs> Isn't that true? Yeah, of course it is. And then the Holy Spirit, once you come to that realization of who Jesus really is, and then you surrender your heart, here's my heart, Lord. Did you sing that this morning? But did you mean that this morning? Did you mean that he's your all in all? Nothing held back? No, all that you are, all that you have, all that you ever will be, all that you will ever have, is, is he really yours? And are you his? Does he have your heart? Or is there anything else that is first in your heart? Now that becomes problematic, right? No. Then the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. You've given him your heart. And that's that N experience, E-N. But then subsequent to that, you know, there's a need to be this empowering for ministry. How many of you have ministry here? Everybody should be raising their hand, beloved. How many of you have ministry here? Wait, let me say that again. Every single one of you are in ministry. Are you involved in people's lives or you stayed in bed? Of course you are. Do we have ministry, every one of us? So who has ministry here? All right. Do you need to be empowered for that ministry? Absolutely do. 
And that's what this filling of the Holy Spirit is talking about. You have the Holy Spirit who comes alongside you, opens your eyes, your mind, your heart to the Lord Jesus. You let him come into your life. And now, now I need to be empowered for that which Jesus has called me to do. There is no command of the Bible. There's nothing that God will place upon your heart that he wants you to do that he will not empower you to do. No command that he will not empower you to obey. Isn't that true? Yeah. And so that's what happened to Paul now. He was saved, but now he has a filling of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of fulfilling the ministry that God has called him to. And Paul will immediately, no hesitation. It's not next week. It's not, let me pray about it. No, no, no. You know what happens when, when you ask somebody something, you know, well, let me just pray about it. What are some of the things that God will call you to? You don't need to pray about it. Come to church. Do you need to pray about going to church? No. no. Now, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Is that true? But Christians go to church. Is that not true? Yeah. If God is your father, then who's your mother? The church. The church. So you don't need to pray about whether you should go to church or not. What are some of the other things you don't need to pray about? Sharing the gospel. I don't, I don't need to pray about it. I need to pray for the power and the boldness to share the gospel. But I'm commanded to share the gospel. Do I need to? You know, Lord, I don't know if you want me to read your word today. Are you out of your coconut? Of course you should be reading the word. The only input into my life that is going to be a worthwhile, that is going to be of eternal benefit, that is going to be spiritual and heavenly is my study and knowledge of the word of God and the person of God. The word of God declares to me the God of the word. But this world I'm bombarded by. Fleshly desires, impulses, influences. Aren't we? Aren't we? Yeah, but Paul, Paul immediately leaves everything. Now, we believe that Paul was married and had children. Why do we believe that? Because he was a Pharisee. And one of the requirements to being a Pharisee, you had to experience marriage and parenting. Otherwise, how could you possibly give advice on such things? What else did he give up and forsake? I'm sorry? Money. His father was a very, very wealthy man. Where? Tarsus of Cilicia, right? Very wealthy. And Paul gave up his will. else did Paul give up? Power and position, authority. Now, he said, I'm a Pharisee. I'm a son of a Pharisee. And, and of those of the law, whew, no one could exceed my understanding, my academic achievements, my study of the Hebraic history and law of God. Right? Paul didn't have any equal when it came to his understanding of the Old Testament. But he gave up his reputation. He gave up his authority. He gave up his future. He gave up his dreams. He gave up all the ambition that he would have had as a young man becoming one of the leaders in Israel. And he was so humbled, wasn't he? What do you give up for the Lord? Now, I'm not asking you to answer the question, except in your own mind, in your own heart. Are you living your life, or are you allowing Christ to live the life he has for you? There's a big difference, isn't there, between you living your life and then surrendering your heart? Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my life, Lord. Here's my marriage. Everything, Lord, it's all for you. That's when I'm living his life and not my own. The only question to be asked is, Lord, not, Lord, not, not, the question not to be asked is, Lord, what is your will for my life? What's the question to be asked? Simply, Lord, what is your will? You got to get the me, my, and I out of it, right? Paul did that. Oh, Paul considered all that he had rubbish in his reputation as well. Look at the text. And immediately he was baptized. What does baptism do? Baptism necessary for salvation? Are we a high church that believes that baptism is a requirement? No, no. Mm -mm. There's only one way in which a man or a woman can be saved, and that's by faith in Jesus Christ alone, right? Baptism is not salvific. Communion salvific? No, only a communion with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus Christ. That's salvific. But there are many churches that teach the participation in their sacraments are salvific. What might be some of those churches? The Catholic Church. That's why I was brought up a Catholic for 30 years, a Roman Catholic. And in Catholicism, it's a works of salvation. It's Jesus plus, plus all the sacraments that the church has established that you have to obey in order to have even the hope of salvation. There's no guarantee. There's no assurance. But it's a hope. That's not what the apostle of love tells me. Who's that? 
John, the apostle of love, he said in his first Johannine epistle, I have written these things that you may know. Know. That's an epistle of certainties. Know that you have eternal life. Right? Yeah. No. Those sacraments that I was taught as a child, they're, they're, not, they're not going to save you. Those are religious traditions and practices that unfortunately so many in my family name, Variali, still embrace today as if they're the commandments of God when they're the traditions of men. They don't save, do they? No, no. And Paul was coming to the realization that so many of the traditions he embraced in ancient Hebraism, Judaism of his day, would not save him. He believed by him obeying the law of Moses, the codified law, the Talmud, the oral law, the oral tradition, obeying all of that, that he would be blameless, that he would find acceptance before God. Is that possible? No, no. Now he's come to the realization there's only one way. And he was baptized into that one way to tell the whole world. That's what your baptism does. It's a public proclamation of your faith in Christ Jesus. That just as he died for you, now you are living for him. You go under the water, and just as he was dead and buried, but the third day he rose again, and you come up out of the water, and you're raised in the newness of life. Romans chapter 6. Well, that's the other testimony, manifestation, and witness of the transformation of Paul. When he came up out of the water after being baptized, what could everybody declare about his life? Is this, is this he? Is this the man? When Paul began to preach Yeshua as the Mashiach, the Messiah, wow, they were out of their minds with amazement. This can't possibly be. Wasn't he who formerly was persecuting the believers in Yeshua, the Messianic believers? What was birthed on Pentecost? Messianic Judaism. Now, why do we say that? Because all the early believers were Jewish. And what did they believe about Jesus, Yeshua? That he was the Messiah. Now, the Christ is a Greek word for Messiah or Mashiach, the Hebrew, right? And so you need to understand that. The first few centuries of the early church, it was predominantly Jewish. It was a messianic Jewish movement, which we now call Christianity, right? But it's faith in the Messiah of Israel. And that's where Paul came to realize his faith lied declaring to the world and to his brethren. And it says in verse 20, now immediately, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he was the son of God. What is that word preached? Caruso. <laughs> I'm an Italiano, right? Some of the best tenors in the world are uh, Caruso's, Italianos, right? And so every, every time I see that word, that word preached, and I've been called to preach, I guess I teach more than I preach. God bless you. But I've been called to preach. And so uh, I look at it like I, I'm called to sing a song of love of Jesus every morning. Paul's life now was a poema, a masterpiece, a song that he lived to sing about the love and saving power of Jesus Christ. The Caruso, preach. Not only that, he said, he said, now I and all of us have become not letters written upon tablets of stone or parchment, but now all of us have become what? Living epistles. Where do you say that? It's in there. Prego. It's in the Bible. Second Corinthians 3.3. 3. <laughs> We're now living epistles for all the world to read. Uh, a lot of the people that we have acquaintances with may never read the Bible, but they're going to read you. Paul had a song to sing. He had a life to live and to show the whole world after his baptism. What about you? Those who know you, can they say your life has sung a song of love for Jesus? That you're his poema, a masterpiece that Jesus is creating. This work of art, this sculpture, this letter, living testimony or testament to Jesus Christ. Paul immediately preached the Christ. What is that word, Christ? Christos, what is that word? Messiah. Immediately. How many of you have a Jewish uh, study Bible or a complete Jewish commentary? Commentary, study Bible? 
See, we lose a lot of the, you, you got one, Jane? Good, good. Yeah, I love to read from that because it brings me to a fuller understanding of the Jewishness of my faith and the Israelogy of the Bible. So you, you'd miss a lot of that understanding when the, when the complete Jewish Bible talks about this, that, that Paul began to preach Yahshua, the Messiah. And where did he do that? Look at the text. Open book test. What does it say? In the synagogue. So who's his audience? Were they Goyim? Gentiles? Nay, they were Jews. So it makes sense. He was talking to them about Yeshua, the Messiah. That's what he was preaching. And now their heads were exploding when he would declare that this Nazarene heretic, so they thought he was, right, is our Messiah. Now he preached that in the synagogues to his brethren. The New Testament wasn't written yet, was it? No. So where's he preaching from? The Old Testament. He was an Old Testament scholar. Now, it's, it's a shame today that so many contemporary preachers are encouraging their congregations to avoid the Old Testament. I, I don't understand that at all, believe me. They say, avoid the Old Testament, avoid Bible prophecy, stop talking about Israel. And you wonder why there's... So much apostasy taking place today. I can get a full understanding of Jesus and all that he did by understanding the Old Testament and all that it predicted with regard to the Christ. The Old Testament, we find the New Testament concealed in the Old. But we find the Old Testament revealed in the New. Whether it was Paul or Peter or John, they, or Jesus himself, they quote extensively from the Old Testament. Now, if you're going to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, Yahshua, Mashiach, where would you go in the Old Testament? Okay, Isaiah 53, what does that tell you? The suffering servant? Yeah. Now, that's a forbidden book. So many Jews today, they won't even touch the Isaiah 53. Who, who did Philip talk to that time? Who was reading Isaiah 53? Yeah. The eunuch, right? He thought he was damaged goods, a broken individual. I could never be right with God because of what he was. Oh, but as Philip shared with him the Christ in Isaiah 53, and then he brought him a little bit further, because we remember there's no chapter or verse distinctions in the original parchment. He's just reading the scroll of Isaiah, and you have to know they got to chapter 56. And what did that declare? You weren't here that week, were you? Of course you weren't, so I'll excuse you. In fact, you don't know. Or maybe you just don't remember. What? The eunuch would come in to fellowship with God through the Christ. Wow, how that must have swelled his heart. Hmm? Hmm. Yeah, so you go to Isaiah 53. Where else would you go? Abraham and Isaac. Isaac. Yako and Isaac and Abraham. The Akadah. That's what we call that, right? Why is it, why is it the Akadah? It's considered the binding. In, in Jewish understanding and in Jewish mind, what they emphasize more than... See, most Gentiles emphasize the sacrifice of Abraham, of his son. Holly, how old are you now? 22. 22. James, how old are you now? Can't remember. Can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> Holly, you think you could take Dad now? You don't know yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I remember my son was training. He was in the military. He was a uh, ranger in the special forces. And, and I, I don't know why I was so foolish. You know, here I am, a couch potato. I'm working behind the desk all the time. And we decide we're going to wrestle. <laughs> Who the man in the house is. You know, now, I've already been through that mistake once. You know, when we first moved. And I think I shared some of that with you about a little boxing story. But, but this time, we're going to wrestle. And, and oof, the boy whipped me. I had to... You know, you know. All right, so that's the second time you prove you can take me. But if you obey me, you love me. Right? Uh, now, 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 when we look at the Akadah, we look at the story of Abraham and, and Isaac. How old was Isaac? He wasn't just a little lad? No, he was a man. How old do we? Yes, thank you. I didn't finish the question, though. <laughs> 
We, we believe he was about 30 years of age because that's when Jesus began his earthly ministry. And that's what, how old you had to be to begin? Priesthood. The priesthood. The priesthood. So we believe that Isaac, Isaac, was about 30 years old when he climbed the mountain. When Abraham said, I and the lad will return. And then they're making their way. Father, father, we have the wood, we have the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God himself will provide the sacrifice. It gives me the goosebumps. Don't just say that, doesn't it? The spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Every prophecy in the Bible, every piece of the Bible talks about Jesus, right? But nonetheless, when they got to the top of the mountain, I got some good news, I got some bad news for you, son. Let's start with the good news. Oh, the good news is God has provided a sacrifice. The bad news is, it happens to be you. <laughs> Now, could Isaac have overtaken his father? Surely he could have. That, that's why the Jews always emphasize it as the binding of Isaac. Isaac willfully laid down his life. What a type of Christ. Isn't it? Yeah. So you, you could go to Genesis and the story of the Akedah in chapter 22. Where else would you go? Where? The Psalms, Psalms 22, Psalm 22, the Psalm of the cross. Remember, those are the shepherd Psalms, 22, 23, 24, shepherd Psalms. 22 is the shepherd and his cross. 23, the shepherd and his crook, right? Shepherd's crook. And 24, the shepherd and his crown. The Malakabad, the king of glory. But in 22 in particular, how does it start out? My God, my God, why? Have you forsaken me? The first thing he said at the cross, isn't it? What's the last thing Jesus said at the cross? And what's the last thing that's recorded for us in Psalm 22? It is done. Literally, if you interpret it from the Hebrew, it is finished. Wow. Wow. Where else would you go? Now, you're going to be talking to a Jew, right? And then maybe, hey, I pray that God gives us opportunities to witness to Jewish people all the time. I love witnessing to Jewish people about the Israelogy of the Bible. They get amazed. Like your friend John Michael, how amazed he is that you know more about the Old Testament and about Israelogy than he does. And it gives us a wonderful opportunity. So where else would you go? Joseph. Where? Joseph. Joseph is an example of Christ over and over and over again. But more, not just implicit teaching, but explicit teaching. What about Isaiah chapter 9? For a sign shall be given you. And what was that sign? A virgin shall conceive and bring forth a child. And his name should be called? Which means? Wow. And Paul would speak to his brother, and they would say, you mean Isaiah was speaking of Yahshua? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> it's easy for me to say Yahshua. You know what? I'm from New York. And when you go to New York, and, you know, if somebody asks you a question, you're going to answer an affirmative. What do you say? Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> How about Isaiah 11? The promise was made. The son should be given in Isaiah 9. What about Isaiah 11? Front to us. The child is born. Front to us. Whose son? God's son. God's son. So you, you could share Jesus as the Messiah, as the son of God in the Old Testament. And you don't need to go to the New Testament because so many Jews today, they don't read the New Testament. They've been told not to read the New Testament, to avoid it. You know, when I was a Catholic growing up as a young boy, I was told by the priest over and over and over again, I can't read the Bible. Do not read the Bible. You know why? Whatever you said. Because they told me I couldn't understand it. You won't be able to understand it. We have been given gifts to understand and interpret the scriptures for you. You don't need to be reading the Bible. Do you know the Inquisition lasted for 1,000 years? Where the church that I belong to, the Roman church, the Catholic church, Romanism, were killing Christians because they were teaching their children the Lord's Prayer. Did you know that? <sighs> How could such a thing? You know, when my eyes were opened up to these truths, I could not believe it. Yeah, I've been in some churches, and I've, I was, I've been in Europe, England, Germany. You go into these cathedrals, and you say, wow, God must be here. You know, it's so big. It speaks of the transcendence of God and how small little I am. Oh, but so many of those cathedrals are empty, spiritually dead, dead. 
I remember Miss Frankie coming into the auto parts store where we first started to meet and teach the Bible. And she came up to me crying. She said, I came back. I've been in every church in Greenville, some of those beautiful churches in Greenville. I can't believe I found God in this dump. <laughs> well, he first came in, and he came in a stable, right? Where sheep are born. You know. Knock, and the door will be open. Ask, and the answer shall be given. Seek, and you will find. Yes. Go to, uh, what, what other, any other verses that you can think of in the Old Testament? Zechariah 13. Zechariah 13. So, huh? The wounds in my head. You know. Where did I get these? In the house of my friends. And oh, by the way, good morning, Lewis. So good to see you, my brother. Good morning. Happy birthday. And what do I have inscribed in my hands? Your name. Wow. Go to Psalm 2. Anybody have a title for Psalm 2 in your Bible? Obviously, it's not in the original manuscript. The Messiah's triumph and his kingdom. Right. The Lord's anointed. Sorry? The coronation of the Lord, the king, the Messiah. All he, there's so many scriptures, and I'm sure Paul began to connect all these dots. His mind just exploded with light and revelation and the truth. Now, listen to me, parents. Yeah, I, do, you make, do you have your children memorize scripture? And sometimes you wonder why in the world I'm doing this. They don't understand the thing. Remember, don't neglect or negate the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the little hearts and their minds on that they'll remember later. If my son were a little boy in this church, Anthony would be talking to me every Sunday about him. What a rascal he is. What a hard head, strong, independent, self-willed. He was. But his mother and I made sure he was in church and he knew the word of God and you would never suspect that the word of God was in him. I think I spanked that boy every single day until he was 12 and then it was every other day. <laughs> but I love that boy and I saw the potential in him because he was such a strong-willed child. He's in a class in high school and the teacher's teaching world religions and she's giving everyone a test on Christianity and, and sadly to say I mean you know if you knew my son when he was in high school with his friends you wouldn't say he was a devout Christian captain of the football team the wrestling team the track team pet you know I mean but we kept Investing, 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 plant the seeds, plant the word, plant the seed, plant the word. The teacher says, you know, I've been teaching this class X amount of years. I've never, ever, ever had a student get 100% on this test until today. Can somebody tell me who they think that student might be? No one could guess. No, they were shocked in amazement, out of their minds, saying, no, it can't possibly be him, you know. But through the word of God, Discipline and prayer. Wow. Wow. And today I wish I was the preacher that he is. I wish I was the teacher that he is. You know. Yeah. Teach your children the word of God. Ground them in the word of God. Paul was grounded in the word of God from a young man nursed on the scriptures. And now all of a sudden it all comes alive to him. Listen, there is nothing wasted in God's economy and God will take years to prepare a person, a child, a little girl 
for the work that he has for them to do. It may be years of preparation. Don't forsake that. And you continue to pray for your children and your grandchildren. Who knows but God, right? Mm. Psalm 2. That's where I think one, one of the places that he would have gone. Why do the nations rage? The people plot vain things. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed, against Jehovah, against the Messiah, the Christ, the Mashiach. Let us break their bonds in pieces. Cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision and ridicule and scorn and mock. God is laughing now. Do you think God's frustrated by anything that's taking place in this world today? Accusing the Jews of genocide? The genocidal Hamas? The genocidal Palestinians? Accusing the Jews of genocide? It's disgusting. They're the last people to be accused of genocide. Why? Because of such a high respect for human life and dignity. Anybody know the story about Mickey? The war dog? I'll have Darren send it out to you. There's a war dog in Israel. Saved countless lives. Bomb-sniffing dog. Went into a house one day, grenade blew up in his face. His skull was in fragments. He lost his eyes, lost his hearing. Anybody, anybody would have reasonably put that dog down immediately. You can't believe the extent the Jews went in Israel to save that dog's life. He was treated in a hospital where the soldiers are treated. He was in the oxygen chamber and, and the head physician of that particular area of the hospital said, wait a minute, this is only for people, it's for soldiers. He's one of us, he's a soldier. It's a she, it was a female. Amazing story. If, if they will go to that extent for a dog. Do you know they treat Palestinian wounded and children the same way, with the same care? To the same extent, there's such a demonic influence in the world today causing this anti-Semitism to rise. And what's new? But we, of all people, believers, Christians, should have a, a, such a love for Israel and for the Jewish people because we've been grafted into the root. Is that not true? Yeah. But he goes on to say, Yes, he'll hold them in derision, and he who speaks in his wrath and distress and bring them into his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, You are my. And Paul preached that he was. Weos. Theos, the son of God. The Mashiach. Nagid, the Messiah, the king. Yahshua. Jehovah. Shua, that's his name, right? Yahshua, Jehovah, Shua. What does it mean? I Jehovah, I am, Shua, salvation. Just in his name. Amazing, amazing. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son today. I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the king with fear. With reverence, love, rejoice with trembling, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. And when his wrath is kindled but for a little while, blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Yes, he came the first time as the Lamb of God. Take away the sins of the world, for unto us a child was born, for unto us a son was given. But he's not coming as a babe the next time, is he? He's not coming as a Lamb of God, take away the sins of the world the next time, is he? How's he coming next time? the lion of the tribe of Judah, to stand over his prey, over this Christ-rejecting world, and he will roar, and all the world will hear that roar. You won't hear that roar. We won't be here for hearing that roar. Isn't that wonderful? So many places that Paul could have went to preach Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Back to the text. Verse 21, then all who heard were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? 
But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who were at Damascus, who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. Now, who were those Jews in Damascus? Hellenistic Jews. Thank you. They, they were Jews who were not natural Jews, not born in Jerusalem. They were Hellenistic Jews. Most of them were Grecian Jews, embracing the Greek culture, but now also embracing the religion of their forefathers, the Jews, but now coming to an understanding that Jesus is the Messiah. Why was it so easy to convert the Ethiopian? Why was it so easy to convert those people in Samaria? Why was it so easy to speak to those Hellenistic Jews in Jerusalem? Why? Why was it so easy for you to come to faith did you feel rejected? Not many wise, but the foolish. Not many mighty, but the weak. The base things of the earth God has chosen, right? To glorify himself. Is the mayor here? Any governmental representatives here? Will the business leaders of our community please stand up? The high and mighty are not here. Hmm. Why is that? Self-made men worship their creator. Self. We know, like the Samaritans, who are considered outcasts, like the Hellenists, half-breeds, like the Ethiopian eunuch, damaged goods, we, we know that we were broken when we came to him and asked him to heal us. Is that not true? Those who believe that they are well or whole are in no need of a physician, Jesus said. But those who are sick, they know they need a physician. My stone is up in New York. And, it, and I got the day there of my birth. Don't have the year of my death yet. Just a dash. There's a dash there. But underneath it, it says, I told you I was sick. <laughs> right? No, it doesn't say that. But it's all there, just waiting to put in that final year. Life is but a vapor, beloved. And the only thing that's important is not the amount of money we accumulate. In the 1800s, who was one of the richest men in, in the country? Railroad man. What was his name before then? Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, you know, the Vanderbilt family were, were obscenely rich, but they were very, very stingy. They gave almost nothing to charity compared to their wealth. A hundred years after the patriarch died, there wasn't a single millionaire among the Vanderbilts. Not one. Bezos' wife, his ex-wife, just uh, cashed in her stock in Amazon. Did you see that? Yeah. See what it was worth? $25 billion. She cashed in her stock. $25 billion last year. Hmm. You envy her? Would you like to be her? I think not. I think not. Godliness with contentment, and you are rich beyond measure. You understand that? Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly, life to the full, life that you can't even imagine. And I'm thankful. The Apostle Paul explained to me what that abundant life is. It's godliness, a Christ-likeness, allowing Jesus to live his life through me with contentment. Being content with such things as we have. God has determined this for me. Oh, but one day, one day I'm going to collect. One day. John 14 tells us, be anxious for nothing, right? You believe in God, believe also in me. What? Many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. And I go now to prepare one for you. Now, now there's, a, there's a double meaning in that, you know. What's the, what's the mansion that he's preparing for you? Your new body, your glorified body. And now you read Corinthians, you'll discover that that's what it is. You know, I'm going to fold up this moth-eaten, rusted-out tent one day, you know. I mean, the tent stakes don't even stay in the ground anymore. The poles are warped. I got so many holes in it, you know. But you know what else that mansion is in the heavens? It's a new Jerusalem. Do you know there's a new Jerusalem that's going to be hovering over planet Earth? Now, some people will say, well, that's a spaceship. No, it's not a spaceship. <laughs> but if you read your Bible, you'll discover that there, there's, a, there's a place designed for the saints 
during the millennial reign of Christ, because we won't have a flesh and blood body. Today, we have a, I have a telestial body. My telestial body is designed for this place. I need a spacesuit to go to outer space, right? But one day, I'm going to have a celestial body that's designed for the heavens. And the place where I will abide or abode, it will be in that, in that heavenly Jerusalem that hovers over the earth during that thousand-year reign of Christ. It's 1,500 feet by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. Now, we don't know if it's a pyramid or a cube, but just the size of it. You know how many people can fit in there? Wow. Wow. Hmm. Eye has not seen, ears not heard the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Somebody asked me the other day, would you, you know, don't, don't you want to stay here a little bit longer? No. No, no, no. If God, if God would ask me right now, would you like to come right now? I would say, right now. Why have you delayed? <laughs> That's off our text. Okay, go back to the text. I'm sorry. Amazed. Is this not the one who was destroying those who came to Jerusalem? But Saul increased all the more in strength, confounded the Jews who were at Damascus, proving that Jesus was the Christ. Now after many days. Oh, boy. So how do we understand this gap between verse 22 and 23? What's happened? Where did Paul go? Hmm? Uh, we got a few minutes. You know, I'm not going to get through this ninth chapter again this morning. Surprise, right? We want to talk about the chronology when the Apostle Paul first got saved. Now, in the beginning of chapter 9, the first two verses, where was he? No, where was he? First two verses of chapter 9. Jerusalem. He was in Jerusalem asking the high priest for letters to go to Damascus to kill these nuts. Right? You anti-abortion? Are you? Pro-life? You pro-marriage between one biological man, one biological woman? Are you? You a fundamentalist? Oh, that's not a dirty word, beloved. I'm a fundamentalist. You know what that means? I believe and embrace the fundamentals of the scriptures. Now, there's a different interpretation out there that's twisted. Misinformation, disinformation. But I am a fundamentalist who is pro-life, pro-marriage. And know that there is only but one way. Is that true? then you're domestic enemy number one. You know that? Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So Paul was in Jerusalem asking letters from the high priest to go to Damascus and to begin to persecute many of the way. And not only did he hold the coat of the murderers who murdered Stephen, but there were many other people murdered with Paul giving the affirmation. Paul is responsible for as many as 10,000 Christians being persecuted, tortured, imprisoned, or murdered. That's why he said, I am the chief of sinners. But now he goes to Damascus. Now, how did he enter the city of Damascus? Blinded and by the hand like a little child. You know, he started out on a steed with this, this temple guards and his temple army, and, and he was going to go in there and was going to do business. But now he's led in blind confused, not understanding what had happened to him. And he goes exactly where he was told to go. Where, did he, where was he told to go? Straight. Straight Street. Where are you supposed to go? Straight. Straight Street. We don't want to find you in zigzag. <laughs> what does zigzag mean? Zigzag, zigzag. zigzag. Paul, uh, David, right? He ended up coming off a of straight street, went on zigzag. The zicky, oh boy. When you looked at his life at that snapshot in time, you'd never believe that David was saved man. Get off of that crooked road and get on straight street, right? I know the Spirit's speaking to some of you right now. Get off of that street you're on, get back on straight street. How do you find your way? Turn right and go straight. Hmm? Ha, 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 okay. So he's in Damascus, and now the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and he can't help but preach. Wow. You know, uh, my wife always gets nervous when we invite somebody over for dinner because she knows what my conversation is going to be, and, you know, they'll go out with their hair on fire. You know, my neighbors all love coming to visit me once. You know? <laughs> but, but, where did, but after this, you know, Paul, Paul, he's just on fire for the Lord. But where did he go from this point? Because it was after many days. Where did he go? How do you know that? 
Galatians. Go to Galatians chapter 1. We want to follow Paul's chronology here. His call to be an apostle. Was it Paul's choice to be an apostle? No. No, no. Actually, no, no, no. Just the opposite. Just the, he wanted to be known as the chief destroyer of this Nazarene heresy. But he's called to be an apostle. Verse 11 of chapter 1, it says, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which I preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came to me through the revelation of Jesus Christ. This revelation, epinosis, knowledge from above that came upon him, this light, enlightenment, right? Paul said, I didn't, listen, I didn't get it from the A apostles. I didn't even talk to the B or the C apostles. You know, who did he get all his understanding from? Straight from the Lord. Now, he's going to explain to us when that happened. You see, he got saved and Jesus said to Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? But who are you? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Turn right, go straight, and I'll tell you what else to do. And then Ananias lays hands on him and receives his sight. He feels the filling of the Holy Spirit. He begins to preach. But now, now he's a little bit ahead of himself. It's a little bit premature. Don't ever, listen to me. You know, sometimes young Christians can be so full of joy and full of the Holy Spirit and so pleased with their salvation that they have enough information to be, but not enough to be, now, now, you always have enough information to caruso, to, to share the gospel, right? The gospel is a simple message, right? He's divine, you ain't, right? He's, you sinned, he's the savior, and there's no way to be reconciled to God except by the blood of Christ. Everybody can evangelize, everybody can preach the gospel, but when you're coming to teaching the word of the deeper things of God, there needs to be a time of preparation, don't you think? We have a lot of people who, who hang out their apostle card or prophet card. or and, Oh, man, there's such heresy that's embraced today. And what amazes me more than anything else is the gullibility today in Christendom. Right? With the emphasis upon the dumb. But Paul, Paul said, I, I did not receive this from man. I didn't receive it from Peter or John or James. I received it from the Lord himself. When Paul was, is talking about communion... Eucharisteo, the giving of thanks, right? He says, he said, that which I receive from the Lord I now impart to you. His understanding of communion didn't become because he was there at that last Seder. He wasn't there at that last Passover that Jesus celebrated with his apostles and then instituted communion. He received communion directly from the Lord there. And when did that happen? Well, look at the text. Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, God's own will, God's own counsel, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia. Arabia. Where's Arabia? Which Arabia did he go to? No. 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 Everybody thinks Saudi Arabia. That's not where he went. Where's Petra? Jordan. Now that was the Nabatine Arabia in Paul's day. That's where Paul went. If he was in Damascus, he'd have to travel south and then go east. And it was present-day Jordan where the rock city of Petra was. That was the capital of the Nabatines, right? And so that's where Paul went. How long was he there? How do you know that? Well, read on. The text tells us, okay? <laughs> then after three years, verse 18, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. So how long was he in Jerusalem? Two weeks. That's it. Two weeks the first time. Okay? So he's in Jerusalem, goes to Damascus. From Damascus, he goes to Arabia, out the desert. What do you think is going on for three years? Wow. My son and I talk every Sunday morning, you know, and he shares what he's going to be sharing on his church. I share what I'm sharing here. But we, we have a, a good conversation. And we were just talking about uh, how, how sweet it was from 1977 when his mother and, and I and he first moved on to Lover's Lane. That's where we lived, Lover's Lane. And it'll be three years before my salvation occurs, but God was working in my heart and in my life. 
1977. We moved out of that uh, area in 1989. I came here to Greenville. But we were just, he, he said, isn't it amazing how in just that short time, there's so many wonderful, it seemed like there was a, the, such an important part of our life. And I said, it was. You know, I've shared many times with you all, the, the, the sweetest time of my life was when I first got saved and the Lord was just pouring himself into me and I was just sharing that with my wife and my son, and it, it was idyllic. We just, it was a little house on the prairie. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious, you know. The sweetest time of my life. Ministry is not the sweetest time of my life, although I love ministry. Don't, don't please, don't misunderstand. I love ministry. I love the calling of God. But, but one day, ministry is going to be over, and the real sweetness of life will begin. It's just Jesus pouring himself back into me again. Just, just Jesus and I and my family. My family. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah. Paul, three years, just allowing Jesus to pour himself into him and to make all these wonderful connections, this revelation of who Jesus really was. All of the Old Testament that it is in sign and symbol and type whether it's Joseph, whether it's the Akedah, whether it's the Levitical system of, of uh, tw like Leviticus 23, the sacrificial system, or the, all, all of the Old Testament is all symbol, sign, and type of what? Jesus, Yeshua. And Paul's mind's exploding with this truth. Wow, such light, such revelation that he's receiving for three years. Listen, there is no substitute. I hope you like coming to church. I love coming to church. I love game day, Sunday, game day, right? But you know what I love more than anything else? Two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning when I get up and the house is so quiet. Not a mouse can be heard. <laughs> the girl's sleeping. The dog's passed out. And it's just me and Yeshua. And he's wow. Those are the most precious moments in my life now. Those quiet moments. Just me and the Lord. I, ho I hope every one of you in my hearing, in the sanctuary and on the internet, know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, the, the thing you have to purpose is to cultivate more of those moments. What does busy mean? Being under Satan's yoke. That's what he desires. He, he wants to keep you so busy, you don't have time for God. You don't have time to sit and listen to You don't even have time for prayer. You know it's true. If you even just pray before your meals, it's a big thing now. No, no, no. You've got to pray long enough where you really what? To Begin to pray. Do you understand that? You've got to pray long enough where the Holy Spirit starts to pray through you. If you can't sleep at night, that's a wonderful thing. Let me tell you something. There, uh, most weeks, I, I sleep maybe two nights a week. I get a good night's rest. The rest of it, he's constantly waking me up. You know, it's like her. I just left the house. Why are you calling me now? Oh, I just want to remind you. Okay. Da ring. What? I'm driving. I don't talk on the phone while I'm driving, right? <laughs> but she misses me. She... Oh, do you understand? Listen, listen to me. He prayed all night. He, Jesus, prayed all night to select his own so that they might be with him. That's all. Right? You know what your girl wants more than anything else? You know what the girl of yours wants, Tom, more than anything else? For you to be with her. That's all. That's all. You know what Jesus wants more than anything else from us? That we'll be with him. Now, it's through that witness where we're together, this communion, where ministry will happen. He purposes that. He'll bring that about. He'll give you all that you need, all the empowerment, all the giftedness that you need to accomplish whatever it is that he wants to do with your life. But first and foremost, he wants you to be a part of his life. You make Jesus a priority in your life, and what do you think Jesus does? He makes you a priority in his. Do you understand that? Oh my, 11.37 What do you think about intermittent fasting? 
<laughs> but it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son to me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. But I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and, and returned again to Damascus. So after three years, he... He's out in Arabia, goes back to Damascus. Now he goes to Jerusalem. Then after the three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother, half-brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Well, that's good. Aren't you always curious when somebody said, now listen, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. Everything else you said was imaginary? I mean, do I need to be concerned? How do I get all that erased? You know, everything we should say should be the truth, right? We don't have to say, well, I'm not lying. Honest. Well, that's a concern. But he says, I'm not lying. Afterwards, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. What's important about Cilicia? Hometown. hometown. Now, Cilicia was the region. What was the hometown there in Cilicia? Tarshish. Tarshish was Paul's hometown there in Cilicia. And I was unknown by the faces of the churches in Judea, which were in Christ, but they were hearing only that he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy and now glorified God in me. Then after what? Wow, 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 wow. Now, now, to prove the point that when Paul was in Syria of Cilicia, right, that the period of time, he had such a tremendous impact as God was enlightening him. Go to Acts chapter 15 for a minute. Fifteen. Acts 15. So they go to Jerusalem and they have the Jerusalem council. There were the, these Jewish legalists were heaping a burden upon these Gentiles that they should not have carried, but they were going back to a, uh, the Gentiles with a message. But where I want to pick up in particular, um, verse 22, Acts 15. Then it pleased the apostles and the elders and the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also called Barsabas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. Verse 23 in particular now. They wrote this letter to them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, and where? And where? So let's see, oh, where'd they come from? How did they become disciples, believers? Paul and his witness. Look down, look at the end of the chapter, verse... Uh, 41, and when, we, when he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches that he had already begun. So when we look at this chronology, go back to Acts chapter 9, when we look at this chronology that had taken place, we see that Paul began in Jerusalem in the ninth chapter. He went to Damascus, blinded, led by the hand, oh, became a powerful preacher of the gospel, the word. He went to Arabia for three years to be enlightened by the Lord personally. Then he went back to Damascus, shared with the brethren, and that's when he got in trouble. It says here in verse 23 of chapter 9, now after many days, this time in Arabia, were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But the plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Now, we know that they watched the gates day and night because uh, it tells us in 2 Corinthians that the governor of the city, uh, by the command of the king, who was the king? Aretimus. Aretus. Aretus. The king was Aretus of that region of Damascus. He told the governor of the city, I want you to put guards over every gate. I do not want this man escaping. We are going to find this terrorist and we're going to destroy him. That's how they felt about Paul. The great apostle Paul, how did he leave the city? Well, he tells us. Go on. Look at the text. Chapter 9, verse 25. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. Oh, anyway, huh? Now listen. It's okay because, because we can humble ourselves and we can look foolish to the unsaved world, right? But the gospel to those who are being saved is a power of God unto salvation. But to the rest of the world, it's foolish. And so are we who share the gospel, who preach the gospel. The world thinks we're a bunch of fools, don't they? Yeah. Paul has to be let down in a basket. Will you permit me to finish this portion of the text so we don't... <laughs> 
Verse 26, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they said, no way, Jose. They were all afraid of him. And he did not, they did not believe that he was a disciple, but Barnabas took him and brought him into the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road. Barnabas bearing witness that Paul did, in fact, see the Lord, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And so he was with him at Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed with the Hellenists again. But they attempted to kill him, and then the brethren found out, and they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarshish. How long was he in Jerusalem? Two weeks. And what an impact he had, though. Now, Paul's practice was everywhere he went, every city that he entered into was the first place he went. To the synagogue. This is my family. These are the Jews. They'll hear me. No. A prophet is not without honor except... In his own country, among his own people. Did you find that to be true? Yes. I, I, can't, I can't believe what little effect I've had on my family, as opposed to the effect I've had on strangers. Hmm. It's true, isn't it? So at this point, at this point, Paul had to escape for his life. Now, now listen, they, were, they weren't going to be foolish. They, they were pragmatic in this particular area. They knew that there was a threat upon Paul's life. They didn't want to see Paul die, and they, they shipped him out of town. And he went from Caesarea, he went back to Cilicia, he went back home to Tarshish. And how long was he there? We just read it. 14 years. After 14 years. And what was he doing during all that time? He was sharing the gospel with everyone that he could. But he was safe. What was Tarshish? It was a Roman city. That's why he was freeborn. He was born there in Tarshish. He was a free Roman citizen. The great apostle Paul. You cannot escape the reality that his conversion is miraculous. And it wasn't of his doing. Do you understand that? For no one seeks after God. No, not. Oh, just you, right? You're the exception? No. No one seeks after God. For all have sinned and fall short of the do you understand how amazing his grace is and how absolutely beautiful his sovereignty appears now? And that I am so unworthy, the least of these who should be called a Christian, a believer of the Lord, knowing everything I know about me, there's no way I would ever have chosen me. But that's grace, isn't it? Mercy is not getting what I deserve, but grace is getting what I don't deserve. And the more, listen, the more you understand that, the more you understand the sovereign work of God in salvation, the more you're surrendered to him and amazed by his love. Paul writes in Romans 5 that while we were without strength, God died for us. No strength. No. What he means by that, there was no spiritual inclination towards Christ whatsoever. While we were without strength. Then he says, while we were sinners. Actively going against the will of God. And then he gets worse. While we were what? Enemies of Christ and the cross. He saved me. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I, I can bear witness that my, my <laughs> while I was at my absolute worst in 1980, capable of doing things I wouldn't want to speak about, things I did and things I were capable of, while I was at my worst, he saved me. What about you? What about you? You think you're a good person? Jesus said there are no one good, right? No. When you understand our wretchedness, what we truly are in comparison to who he is, his grace becomes so amazing, so wonderful. And now I just want to surrender to that grace for the rest of my life. I remember when I became a Christian, when I got saved, my, my first wife was a believer, but as a teenager in her 11th year of high school, she wanted to take a ride on the wild side. That's where we met. We didn't go to the same school or in different parts of different towns, but I met her in a uh, department store I was working at during the Christmas season. And so I took her for a ride. I got her pregnant. 1969, before abortion was legal. 
But my family was connected, so we knew a doctor who could take care of the problem. I said, well, we'll fix this. No, no problem. She was so sorry. Because she grew up in church, 17 years, perfect Sunday school attendance. She knew the Bible. She could tell you every single book of the Bible. She could tell you where Christ was found. I mean, she was a wonderful, but she just had that rebellious period, you know? You've you got to have faith, parents, because even if our children, they grow up in church, they have a little rebellious spirit, God will bring them back. God won't let you go. Once you're his, you're his now and forever. And so she got right with her God. It was a beautiful thing to see. And then he gave her such patience and love and understanding for a wretch like me. And for 10 years, for 10 years, I put her through hell. But she stayed with me. She loved me. And then I got saved through her prayers and that silent witness that she was. And I said, I'm going to spend the rest of my life. Sorry doesn't mean anything. I want to spend the rest of my life making it up to you. And that's how I feel about God now. When he saved me, I said, Lord, I just, I just want to spend the rest of my life making up for what I have been. Help me, Lord. Do you feel that way? And give him your heart. Give him your all. He is so deserving, but we give him so little. True? Yeah. Pastor David, you got a closing song. Shall we stand? Thank you for listening to this message from Community Chapel of Greenville. For more information and to find more messages like this, please visit to www.ccgreenville.org. It is our desire to see our Lord high and lifted up, and to see His people grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.